voting by mail, the Supreme Court, opening the schools, the Green New Deal, the post office, the wall, masks, vaccines. Are you triggered yet? I am. When I hear these words, I have an overwhelming urge to grab my smartphone and pour out my heart and soul in 280 characters or less. And then, and only then, everyone who reads my tweets will understand that there is a right side and a wrong side for every issue. Come to think of it, a good side and an evil side. And if anyone who reads my brilliant outpouring of genius still disagrees with me, then there is nothing else to do but to write them off. Why should I have anything to do with these people? If they are so stubborn and obtuse, if they don't agree with me, they should move to Canada, or I will. Either way, there is no way we can coexist with differences so vast and impregnable. The political professionals can rest easy. They've got me right where they want me. They have poll tested all the hot button issues and catchphrases to make me get out there and vote. But boy, I didn't come cheap. This year's election spending is estimated to cost $11 billion. Want to guess what the federal government has spent on research for COVID-19 vaccines? About 25% less. I am not a campaign worker, but I have many friends in the field, and I know just enough to be dangerous. Believe me, the machinery of politics is an amazing thing, and technology is making it more and more sophisticated. Have you been to Disney World lately? Well, when it was open. There is a smartphone app that crowdsources the wait times for the most popular rides, so you can time it, so you only have to stand in line the minimum amount. One election day, not too far into the future, we can expect to receive text messages saying, you haven't voted yet, and you are 0.3 miles away from your designated voting location. The lines are only 15 minutes long, and the polls close in four hours. You should stop by now and do your civic duty. Make no mistake, these political scientists are some of our best and brightest. I do not begrudge them their work. They are incredible at what they do. They are laser focused and ready to make sure that come the first Tuesday in November, they can rest assured that they did everything within their power to get their candidates in office. Everything is tailored to that Tuesday in November. The only problem with this picture is that we, the people, wind up as collateral damage. As we get triggered enough to vote, we run the risk of getting triggered enough to hate the other side. After we are barraged with $11 billion of messaging designed to stir us up, how much will be spent after the election, stressing the need to work together in harmony to accomplish great things as a nation, no matter who wins? We cannot expect politicians to show us the way to unity. After all, messages of unity run counter to their partisan interests. Instead, you can guarantee they will continue to pump out messages to divide us and energize their base, leaving us to deal with the aftermath. It's a lot like Colossus in AD 60, at the time of Paul. Paul's letter to the Colossians, which we heard a portion of earlier in today's service, was written during a challenging time for Christians. The Colossians in power were teaching a mix of Jewish and Gnostic beliefs. Paul was under house arrest in Rome, 
and writing to the early Colossian Christians that were seeding the first church while surrounded by people in power teaching heresy. The point that Paul was making to the Colossians is that Christ is supreme and completely adequate. There is only emptiness from mere human philosophy. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. I want to explore two phrases from the scripture, grievance against someone, and forgive as the Lord forgave you. Our grievances are usually not hard to locate. In addition to our grievances against the opposing political party, we all have valid grievances around the pandemic, virtual schools and churches, small businesses closing, employees left without jobs, and through it all, the fear of catching a virus that seems to be unstoppable. All of this is terrible and dysfunctional, and we can all look forward to the return of handshakes, hugs, and social gatherings. I have been reading Bishop N.T. Wright's God and the Pandemic, a Christian reflection on the coronavirus and its aftermath. Bishop Wright discusses the importance of lamenting. He says, I have urged that we should embrace lament as the vital initial Christian response to this pandemic. Roughly one third of the Psalms are lamenting that things are not as they should be. The words they use are words of complaint, of question, sorrow, anger, and frustration, and often enough, bitterness. In a time of acute crisis, when death sneaks into houses and shops, when you may feel healthy yourself, but you may be carrying the virus without knowing it, when every stranger on the street is a threat, when we go around in masks, when churches are shut and people are dying with nobody to pray by their bedside, this is a time of lament. The bishop urges us not to dwell on whether God is using the pandemic to punish us for our sins or use the pandemic as an excuse to evangelize. Instead, Christians should see this time of lament as a time for prayer and hope. The second phrase from Colossians 13 that I want to explore is, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Most of us probably think of forgiveness in the traditional sense, to let go. But the Greek meaning of forgive as used in this passage is charizomai, which means to gratify or do something pleasant or agreeable. Here, Paul is emphasizing the gracious nature of forgiveness, and this is the way we can successfully get past our grievances against others. When I pray for my enemies, I remember that everyone has a mother and a father and a memory of when that parent taught them how to read, how to ride a bike, how to throw a football. Prayer opens my heart to my neighbor's potential struggles with depression, chronic illnesses, broken hearts, their financial turmoil, addictions, and fears of failure. Prayer also opens my heart to celebrate my neighbor's good fortune and rejoice in their happiness. My neighbor might have a weakness for chocolate ice cream or a love of hockey or a child with disabilities. It doesn't really matter if I'm exactly accurate in my assumptions. Basically, these prayers serve to humanize people. These attributes are far more important 
than which political signs are posted in their yard every election season. I used to enjoy reading the annual articles about how to talk to your family at Thanksgiving, not because I needed the advice for my own family, I would never say that, but as Thanksgiving dinner 2020 might be looking grimly like yet another Zoom meeting for many of us, I started to think about these articles and taking things to the next logical step. Instead of learning how to talk to family members we disagree with, wouldn't it be easier to avoid them entirely? As we eat our Thanksgiving dinners with just our immediate households, will, be, will we be giving thanks for not having to break bread with our crazy uncle? The Bible tells us the answer. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Today is Commitment Sunday, and our stewardship theme for 2021 is being the church. You should know that your contributions pay the salaries and benefits of the church clergy and lay staff. Your money also funds most of the Mount Olivet ministry programs, including outreach, caretakers of God's creation, trustees, children's programs, youth missions, and our summer concert series, as well as a portion of community assistance and the larger United Methodist Church. We are truly blessed with a remarkable congregation. Even in the midst of a pandemic with minimal in-person worship, we remain in good financial shape. In June, Mount Olivet closed its fiscal year in the black, thanks to the faithful giving by our members. We had the resources to quickly move our worship services online since our members' generosity had previously funded the purchase and operation of live streaming technologies. Your contributions in 2020 have meant that Mount Olivet employees were retained and kept at full pay. Your money has kept the church facilities operational for the eventual day when we can safely open the building for in-person worship and so many other activities that make Mount Olivet such a vibrant part of the Arlington community. A letter should have arrived in your mailbox this week with a pledge card. Your pledge for the coming year can include a promise to serve others, to worship, to pray for others, and to be a witness. If you are able to contribute to the church financially, there are various ways to donate, online, by electronic funds transfer, or by mail. We expect some members of Mount Olivet to curtail their funding in 2021 as they work through job insecurity. Other members may be able to increase their pledge amounts to offset those gaps in order to sustain our ministries. In any circumstance, please pray about it and make your pledge today. But beyond your pledge toward Mount Olivet in 2021, we want you to be the church in your neighborhood. Lament your grievances, then forgive, and finally, let peace rule your heart. Be the church to your neighbors and show them love no matter who they are. As the mask says, love your neighbor. I would like to close with a prayer of hope from Psalm 43. Dear God, oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God.
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Amen.